This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. The provincial premiers are meeting in Saskatoon and for the first time in a long time, there is not a single woman among them. Does that matter? The five Conservatives got a head start at the Calgary Stampede yesterday, reinforcing their stance as a united front against the carbon tax. Doug Ford, of course, coming off a really bruising legislative session and refusing to answer questions about the Dean French patronage scandal, which hit after the cabinet shuffle that was supposed to mark a major reset. In the midst of all this, it appears the Conservatives have all but lost their lead over the Liberals in the latest polling, which shows that Justin Trudeau is finally recovering from his own disastrous session. So, we want to hear from you. What do you think? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And with me in studio, our crack political panel, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner of Fleischmann-Hillard High Road, Charles Bird, Managing Principal at Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and Kim Wright, Principal of Kim Wright Strategies. Hello. Welcome to you all. Thanks for having us. Hi, Libby. Hello. Okay, let's start with John. So uh, we heard Doug Ford not wanting to talk about Dean French. Uh, how's that working for him? <laughs> well, it's uh, it's a still a work in progress, I think. But uh, well, there's no doubt that I think Doug and the premier the premier wants to sort of move away from this. I think the uh, the cabinet shuffle was supposed to be an opportunity for uh, for him and the government to reset and and to uh, and to rejig some of the some of the ministers who have performed well and get them into portfolios where they need some extra help. Bring in some younger uh, talent from uh, from the caucus pool who uh, who have done well over the course of last year. People like Stephen Lecce. Uh, like Jill Dunlop and others who uh, really did perform well and get them into cabinet and get them to really shine and and communicate the, the government's message a bit more um, or I should say better than than it was in the past year. Uh, so it's unfortunate that that what happened with Dean French and, and some of the appointments has taken them off track. But look, Doug is right, though, when he says that uh, Ontarians want to know what's happening with the economy. They want to know what's happening with education, with health care. And they've got a huge ambitious agenda, as we saw over the past year, uh, that they're going to continue over the course of the next year, and I think that's what he wants to focus on, and not on the on the frivolous stuff that um, uh, that um, you know some of the other pundits will uh, will be talking about. Well, we know that's what he wants to focus on, but uh, Charles Bird is that going to work for him? I mean, he's. It seems like he wasn't aware of these appointments. I'm not sure that's a good look. And <laughs> in the midst of all this, after this reset, we have Lisa McLeod. I, I mean, who could even explain that using foul language at a at a concert when she's there with her whole staff? I mean, it, it just looks like he doesn't have control of the bus. 
There, there's no nothing more frustrated than an Ottawa Senators fan these days. So I uh, have some sympathy for Miss McLeod, but um, uh, the Dean French situation is is very unusual. The nature of his dismissal and the brazen nature in which he went about making patronage appointments of of a number of people, not all, but a number of individuals who were clearly unqualified for their positions is 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 really quite astonishing. Um, and the chief of staff role in the premier's office. Office is one of the more critical senior positions in government, one to which uh, I'd be shocked if they weren't reaching out to my colleague John on that very subject. Uh, but one of the more interesting aspects of that is that, you know, Premier Ford's style of governance is is unusual. And uh, he clearly values people that he's known for a long time and that he's comfortable with and who in turn are comfortable with with his unorthodox style of governing. So uh, Jamie Wallace, uh, former Toronto Sun executive, is acting chief of staff now. It'll be interesting whether I'll be interested to see whether he gets the nod for the long term or whether the premier opts for someone who's sort of part of his long term inner circle. Kim? So this is rapidly became the Dean French government and not the Doug Ford government. He became a distraction. He became the person who was setting the legislative agenda, who was theoretically vetting all of his friends and Rolodex into different patronage appointments. Some of those appointments were valid appointments and and, and those should be uh, taken and can, continued on. Uh, but he continued to put the Premier in an untenable situation to the point that the Premier's polling numbers dropped like a stone and he got booed in front of a chorus of people at the Raptors game. If, you're if, you're if, blaming if, Dean, Dean French for that? I'm saying there's an entirety of how they manage their legislative agenda or chose not to. And the premier needs to take responsibility for being a sort of very hands-off managerial style and leaving it so much to, to Dean. Those patronage appointments, there were hundreds of them. Uh, people had been talking about them around Queen's Park. The premier decided to continue to take a, but it's Dean. He's got this. He's my friend. He, he understands what I need to, to get through this government. The challenge was that it didn't. Everything we saw, whether it was the autism file, whether it was the way they ramroded through uh, municipal change in the city of Toronto, everything that was scores to settle uh, either should have been better vetted through a, a chief of staff uh, who understood legislative process and governing uh, in an intergovernmental relations style. But they chose to be controversial right out of the gate. They chose to do that. The premier thought he was going to recalibrate when they shifted their practically their entire uh, cabinet, including their finance minister after a year. They thought they were going to get a better sense of this. And then the patronage stuff started spilling out into the public. The premiers got booed. The one thing that the Ford family does not like and has never liked has been when when these situations become very public and they're and for a populist for a populist government, they became very unpopular. So the premier has to step in and say, "Look, enough is enough. Let's actually govern. Let's do this right." The the Lisa McLeod, uh, you know. Uh, I don't even know what to call outburst. that outburst. Let's, let's call it an outburst. I, I, I guess I'm trying to be more parliamentary mm. than the, the minister was at the concert. And while I appreciate Sun's fans and that she takes on the minister hockey mom portfolio, she was there in her official capacity. And, uh, and I think everyone needs to take a deep breath over the summer and recalibrate what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's incomprehensible. <laughs> it's like she's there. You know, how do you not know that that's not going to be 
and, and, and any, frankly, mm-hmm. any situation mm-hmm. where you start with, do you know who I am? Yeah. Never yeah. ends well for the person. No, saying no, 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 exactly. <laughs> Not even at the grocery store. You know, John, it seems to me that even from the beginning, you know, some of these appointments and, and the money attached to them, they just have the wrong look, even if there's validity to things, starting way back with Reuben Devlin. I mean, maybe he deserves $350,000 a year, but it's just, to me, the, that as the first appointment, it just, you know, had a look of hypocrisy about it. Well, look, we, when we talk about appointments, let's put it into context. <clears throat> Every government that gets into power, except for the NDP, because of course they don't have, they've only been in power once at provincial in Ontario, but uh, the Liberals, you know, the, the famous, the famous, um, um, story about uh, the former premier Kathleen Wynne and appointing her husband to a, to a not-for-profit. And, and of course we're just, her husband, her wife or at least spouse. her so, so spouse, spouse, I believe yeah. uh, was, was, forgive me, a spouse was appointed to something and it was it made the papers, but also, um, you know, the Dominic LeBlanc and his, and the connections oh, there well, with some of the justices. Of the peace. But, but so there is, uh, there is a, there is a sense that whenever a government gets in and there's appointments to be made, um, they're going to put in people who of course they will, will, will be aligned with their political leanings and their political strategy in some cases as long as there's there's some level of, of experience and uh, and um uh, credibility with them, I think people are willing to go. And I think with all of the, the appointments that we've seen, all but the one, I think the one that got him into trouble was a 26-year-old who was yeah. appointed as agent, agent general to, to New York. Uh, all the other ones are all people that have life experiences that, that yes, are known to either Dean or Doug or the government, uh, but would have served well in those positions and are serving well in those positions. So I think we have to put that into context because governments do that on a regular basis. But John, had they not messed up the Tavner appointment and basically took down the job posting and recalibrated it politely uh, to make it so he could apply for it, you know, maybe some of those other appointments wouldn't seem so egregious, but it becomes a pattern. And that's what I think is concerning to people saying, wait a minute, what's going on? Yes, you have thousands of jobs within the Ontario Public Service and the broader agency world uh, that you need to have appointments for. But when some of these really, frankly, don't pass the smell test, like you played lacrosse with with somebody's relative that doesn't sit well with most Ontarians who thought Doug was one of them and wasn't going to do the type of things that yeah, that's, he said that's, he was going to do. That's what I know that governments do this. <laughs> I used to think that the one of the differences between liberals and conservatives was that the liberals got to it a lot quicker. But I'm <laughs> not sure that that's the case and and it just it just looks bad it's, well it does and and there's a there's a process in place and i think that you know no matter what you try to do whatever government you are if it's the federal liberals or if it's provincial liberals or provincial conservatives you try to put a, a, a system in place where there are checks and balances with respect to appointments and, and, and kim's right there's a lot of missteps that have happened along the way that caused this to be a bigger issue than it should have been uh, and as i said i think if it wasn't for this 26 year old lacrosse yeah. friend i think it would have been probably uh just another other sets of appointments that were put in place but um I, you know, like he's 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 
Dean's gone, uh, and the premier is right to say, look, it, that's over with. We're reviewing all the appointments to make sure that people that are in there now are the ones that are qualified and have the experience. Uh, but let's get on to the issues that really are, that matter to Ontarians. And I think that's where they want to be able to go and sort of reset back to what they wanted to do once they did the cabinet shuffle, was which is talk about some of the issues and see what's going on now, which some of the new ministers, Minister Todd Smith talking about autism uh, and what he's doing, and, and certain some of the other ones, Stephen Lecce talking about education and how he's open to to talking to unions and stuff. Those are the issues and, and the kind of conversation that this government wants to have with Ontarians and want the issue to be and the story to be about that and not about anything else. Okay, well, let's see if they succeed. Uh, people want to hear from you. Uh, are, are you upset by these uh, missteps? Are you thinking, rethinking support for Doug Ford? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And moving to the federal stage, Charles Byrd, uh, the Liberals seem to be rebounding. How do you see that? Uh, is it just a matter of time passing from Jody Wilson-Raybould or what? It's partially that. I think there's also some suggestion that the relative unpopularity of Doug Ford in Ontario is uh, putting a little wind in the federal Liberal sails at a pretty important time, given that we're about four months away from uh, the federal election this fall. Um, I think there's also uh, a bit of a dynamic emerging that Andrew Scheer is aware of, which is that you have a slew of Conservative premiers who've been fairly hard-lined to date early on in their response governments who have made no bones about the fact that they are adamantly opposed to Justin Trudeau being prime minister and are actively seeking ways to uh, replace him with Andrew Scheer. And I think a lot of Canadians look at that kind of dynamic with a fair bit of disquiet and discomfort. It's almost as if, um, you know, these kinds of political machinations, which we've seen in the U.S., have really taken root in Canada and people are genuinely concerned about the state of our democracy as a result. So, um, I won't be surprised if um, the premier tries to keep a fairly low profile until after the federal election. Uh, he hasn't done a terribly good job of that to date, but we now have uh, a couple of uh, summer months ahead. And uh, then they, the provincial government will have the opportunity to hit the reset button in the fall. Um, that, now, that all assumes that uh, labor strife doesn't cause uh, an early calling back of the Ontario legislature, which is, which is there is some possibility of that. Kim, how do you see that? And, and is there anything at play here, you think, that suddenly, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of concentrated liberal power before. Now we have, you know, five conservatives in power and are people thinking, huh, maybe we, maybe we need some, uh, them a counterbalance for that? There's always a bit of a counterbalance. That's generally been the history. If you look just at Ontario, we tend to have a conservative in one level and a liberal in another. That's, it doesn't always have to be that way, but it generally has has been how history has gone. There's a bit also that, yes, he, he's not talking, he's not in the House, he's not talking, the Prime Minister's not in the House, he's not talking about S&C and those types of scandals every single day. Uh, he is trying to avoid some of the gaffes that he made on his uh, plastic, anti-plastics announcement where he couldn't quite get out that it was a water box <laughs> type of thing, sort of, kind of. Uh, sorry, you reminded the, me. Anything you can do to set the internet on fire. Um, he's, he's sort of 
trying to step back. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that uh, the G20 summit made him look prime ministerial, but again, there were no major gaffes that came out of that. Uh, Andrew Scheer has also played a bit of, of quiet. Uh, you know, he, yes, he has been going around to, diff- to doing the barbecue circuit as one does in this time of, uh, time of the pre-election, uh, but he didn't get a big bounce off of his uh, environment announcement uh, a couple of weeks ago. He's just trying to, everyone's just trying to set the table. We've, we're going into the, the silly season of the summer months and the barbecue circuit. Uh, the polls will shift dramatically once everything kicks into gear in the campaign post-Labor Day. How is Andrew Scheer performing, and is he taking a back seat now to Jason Kenney, first to Doug Ford, now to Jason Kenney? Well, no, I don't think Andrew Scheer takes a back seat to anyone. I think he's got his own style that he's um, uh, that has worked well for him over the course of the last number of years of, of him in, in political career, not, not least of which, of course, his term as a Speaker of the House and, and, and the House of Commons in Ottawa. But, um, you know, I think I think the polling numbers that we're seeing now, as far as even the fact that the Liberals have taken a bit more of an up, uptick, um, I've said this on the show before, but, but polls are a snapshot in time, and I think what it shows sort of today or this period of time is that, as Kim said, some of the issues that, that were haunting him aren't aren't front pages anymore, so people have kind of, you know, moved on to other things. But I think what speaks more um, um, to the issue here is, is a narrative or a trend, I think, that, that is troubling the Liberals over the course of the last little while, which, shows, which has shown a downtick of, of popular support, not only on, on the question of would you vote for the Liberals again and would you re-elect them, but also his popularity which has taken a huge hit over the course of the last little while, which, of course, the Liberals would never have imagined Justin Trudeau ever having, you know, dipping below uh, his normal when it comes to his popularity. Um, but I think if, if Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives can make the case to say, look, you've had three and a half years of, of Justin Trudeau. Are you better off now than you were then? And he wanted to change the tone uh, the tone and the channel of how politics has been has been played given the 10 years of Stephen Harper. And he wanted to have this hope and opportunity and all this op- op- optimism. And he had these wonderful uh, campaign promises that none of them have come, come to fruition. And I think that Canadians need to be reminded, and they will be reminded of that once the campaign kicks off in, in earnest over the course of the last little, next little while, but certainly after Labor Day. Uh, but if that message gets out and people say, you know what, we, we thought this guy was going to come in with this, with this opportunism and, and, and hope and opportunity and not, none of it is coming together. Why not give Andrew Scheer a chance? And I think the challenge that the conservatives face is that Jagmeet Singh is just nowhere. So if people think that Andrew Scheer's not known, well, Jagmeet Singh has not been known, is not known, and, and is hurting the NDP to a point where the Green Party now, in some cases, pulled better than, uh, than the NDP. I was looking at Kim as I was saying that. <laughs> so look, Jagmeet has been doing a, a tour of Canada, really getting to connect with activists, connect with communities, understand what's happening, doing, his, uh, doing a listening tour. He's not doing some of, I, I know there's been talk, talk he's not doing these big ginormous fundraiser or events. Speaking tour. <laughs> uh you know yeah, and, there, and the NDP is, is in, in trouble with so, money so there so different types of styles of campaigns that we're running we're not going to do what uh, mr Shear did and run big ads that uh, big ad buys during a raptors game it didn't get him the bounce that he was hoping for i don't think it was a, the best set of money if you also think back to four years ago, Justin Trudeau was a distant, distant third place, and no, and frankly, people were calling for his his beautifully coiffed head uh, within the party. Mm, that he, didn't happen. But it did. <laughs> but you know, there were there were lots of people who were like, "He can't win. We need to get a new leader. Can we get somebody in?" 
these things happen. And then in the course of an election campaign and, you know, the course of an election campaign, people either rise or fall. And I suspect you're going to see a lot of Jagmeet. He's been doing the book tour. He's been doing meeting with communities. He's been talking to a lot of folks. He's been raising money at, at events. At 25 bucks at a time. It's not even 25 bucks at a time. But what he's doing is actually saying there is no barrier to entry to engaging with someone who's running to be the leader of our country. And there shouldn't be financial barriers to entry to have those conversations with people. He's been very clear about that from the beginning. So what happens at these events is he talks with people, he does a speech, he does a Q&A. And if people feel like they want to financially support that, they do. And there isn't a set amount. There isn't there isn't an arm twisting. It is how do you, you know, please feel free to contribute. It's old school. It's grassroots. It's basically what everyone talks about in terms of we need to get back to. Jigmeet's actually uh, believes that he, there shouldn't be barriers, financial barriers to entry to the political t- discourse. And I agree with him. Okay, let's take a couple of calls, starting with Tina in St. Catharines. Hi, Tina. Hi. You're on the air. Go ahead. Okay. I would never vote for the Conservative Party this time around because they made sh- such a show of themselves when the federal budget was being presented, stomping their feet and slamming their desks and delaying the whole process by three hours. I think he just told you who he was, and we should believe that he is a disruptive force. We don't need any more nonsense like Trump and Doug Ford. We don't need people that do that kind of behavior. I'd rather have Trudeau and have a grace and kindness than have some jerk that goes in and pounds on the desk and acts like a two-year-old. Okay, Tina, I think we get your drift. Thanks for your call. Okay. Well, sorry. Well, I, I, I would I would take some some issue with Tina's call. I respect I respect obviously Tina's uh, Tina's uh, point of view, of course. But um, I would just say this: I think that's the only method that opposition parties sometimes have to get their message across. And I think the frustration with respect to what we saw with the federal liberal, federal liberals um, with their budget and 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 their deficit and the fact that they their promise of of keeping their deficit under control during the election campaign went, went out the window year one uh, and is and is proven to be another, you know, spend and tax kind of government, which which is frustrated conservatives. So I think their point was, look, at, the only way we can uh, get some media attention and, and draw some uh, some attention to to the fact that this, this, these liberals are spending our, our way into bankruptcy in this country uh, is to do what they did. I think, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of Canadians were, were, were happy with it. Okay, let's hear from George in St. Catharines. Hi, George. Hello. Well, uh, Sunday, I was at the Conservative nomination candidate. As you know, uh, Mr. Nicholson retired, and the new person out there is going to be Tony Baldini. Baldini, I think his name is. Uh, what I got there, uh, I was a liberal myself. I'm a conservative now, 100%. Uh, what they're saying is a lot of women there, people are saying Trudeau comes in again. One woman says she's going to go live with her sister out there in um, Alberta because they might be going independent. Another fellow said he likes to leave the country. I don't think so. Well, they don't. Th- well, people all talk, and this is what they're telling me. And uh, think of it this way: Trudeau, uh, there's something wrong when he gets on stage and says Sharia law is okay. There's a problem. Mm, I don't think he said that. He did say that. Yes, he did uh, at uh, at the uh, place there out in Mississauga. It was on uh, CTV. Mm, I don't think that's exactly yeah, what he said. Yeah, I heard it. I saw it. Uh, I think we all saw it, maybe uh, interpreted a little differently, but I think we uh, know where you're coming from, George. These, these, 
Thanks for your call. <laughs> well, you know, I think uh, um, George's message, I guess, is to say that there are people frustrated with with Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, and and uh, and they've got a choice. They've got a choice to make, and I think the choice really for those who don't who who have voted for the Liberals and are, aren't feeling that they got their money's worth or their you know the the, the worth of of their vote um, can vote for the Conservatives with Andrew Shear, who's somebody who is uh, not Stephen Harper. He is somebody who is um, uh, got principles. He's a family man. He's got from humble roots, uh, and somebody who understands the middle class and, and will, will uh, give attention to the middle class voter. John, I don't understand when people say he's a family man. I get that he's, you know, he's got lots, he's of, got kids. lots of kids and he comes from lots of kids. I get that. But it almost as if you're trying to suggest that none of the other leaders are family people. And I, I always find that always just a passing. Justin Trudeau has three kids. I have yeah. two nannies. No, I, I, think, I, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a ridiculous uh, splitting of hairs. I, I, it, it just is one of those things that just makes it like, I get, he doesn't come from the, uh, Andrew Shear doesn't come from the money and neither does Jigmeet Singh. But to suggest that, you know, other leaders aren't family people. It no. always just seems like a weird Wait, qualifier. Let's, that, which brings me to the question that we didn't get to because we're running out of time. Is it a big deal that there are no women holding premierships, Charles? Yeah. In fact, the um, at the uh, Calgary Stampede uh, event that uh, Jason Kenney hosted, it was notable that it was five white males, all of a political stripe, which comes of with a, you know, a certain political uh, perspective and dynamic, which isn't necessarily healthy. A number of the other premiers might have said, well, why wasn't I there? Why am I not like-minded like uh, Premier Kenney? But I want to go back to one thing the caller said, and it is specific to Alberta when he made reference to Alberta separation. A lot of my friends in Alberta tell me that that the sentiment there has never been more negative towards the rest of Canada or put, put another way, the view in Alberta is that people in the rest of Canada are actively cheering for their demise, whether it be economic or social or as a petro superpower. And you have to ask yourself, how did things get to this point? Because that really is the seeds of a separatist movement. And part of the part of the reason it's happening is simply because politicians are really playing those cards, whether they're populist or whether they're just mean spirited. Um, they are stoking up a level of resentment in that province, which is which is really very very troubling. And it's not without precedent in Canada or around the world, but it has implications going forward. And when the premiers, the premiers have begun their three days of meetings in, uh, in Saskatchewan, I think they're in, at the Big River First Nation Reserve just outside of Prince Albert today. And then um, tomorrow and Thursday we'll be in Saskatoon. And I think they need to have a serious conversation about what's going on and the extent to which politicians are, are really driving negative sentiments in this country. Because tearing at the fabric of our democracy comes with a very, very heavy price. You know, true, but I, I think if, if anything, politicians are uh, kind of acting on what is already there, for sure, and has always been there, the, the, the West yeah. against That's the central Canada. I mean, the, the, the Trudeaus have uh, been on the receiving end of Western alienation at their own because of some of their policy decisions. Uh, and then if you also look at, you know, former Prime Minister Harper, he frequently would say lines to the effect of Alberta wants in. So, you know, it's 
these people try to play these parsings of hairs and the and the and the splits with trying to play the splits within the political calculus. I don't think it benefits Canadians, but it certainly is uh, interesting to talk about on panels. Well, okay. but the policies also dictate that, as you know. Jason Kenney got elected premier because of the fact that he was able to tap into that le- that level of resentment and sentiment in Alberta, which obviously has permeated to BC and across and all east to Ontario and beyond. But I, I do think it's one of those things where you know politicians have to be uh, broader and much more national in their scope, especially federal leaders. But but there's no question that there's a lot of votes in in, uh, in Alberta and out west that the, a lot of the um, the leaders want to be able to tap. Just because have- the sentiment exists doesn't give a politician the right to go in and, and stoke up the level of animosity no. we've seen south of the border. But I mean, Donald Trump is a classic example of, you know, the, the, the disgrace that was the birther movement yeah. suggesting that Barack Obama had not been born in the United States, which oddly enough is now being perpetrated against Kamala Harris from California. Well, but, but also I extraordinary. Think, but I, I agree though, Charles, but I do think that there's policies in place and then there's the policies that create some of the, some of the sentiment that you have to be mindful of too. Notwithstanding, of course, Pierre Trudeau back in the day, but certainly the Trans Mountain Pipeline and how that was handled has caused a lot of this to happen. But we also have to make sure that as we're as people are having these conversations, as leader and leaders in politics are having these conversations, they're cognizant that sometimes they fan those flames and try to think that they can they can manage those wildfires of of anti-separatism or uh, some of the yellow vest movement, all of those types of things that we've been seeing lately and you know, we've been assured by political leaders that those people wouldn't have a voice within within their political uh, leadership. But sometimes those things creep in. And be careful of those wildfires. Well, and as you share as a family man and as a leader, we'll, we'll be the one who will actually fix that and we'll make sure that that doesn't happen. Stephen Harper, let's time out. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to let you know, Kim, that you know my point about about Andrew being a family man is is not to say that the other ones aren't, but it's just a talking. It's it's a who he is, and it's a, it's part of his character. And I think that's an important part for Canadians to know. It's not to say that anybody else isn't, um, but you know, as much as he is somebody who's come from humble roots, that is a as a character uh, and and a characteristic of him that people want to know and need to know. So it's just like anything else. I'll, I'll make sure I get you a copy of Jigmeet's book, Love and Courage. You'll hear you'll hear quite an interesting uh, story of well, his his history. Which, uh, is is something that a lot of Canadians can uh, relate to. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. Especially Justin Elizabeth May. What, what do you think uh, are the big themes going forward for the rest of the summer as we head into the federal election? Well, to a large extent, I think politicians would be well advised to stay out of Canadians' way as they're enjoying their backyards and their barbecues <laughs> and um, really trying to concentrate on the positive. Um, for the Liberals, um, you know, it, it's interesting that the, Kim mentioned um, uh, the Prime Minister's supposed gaffe around plastics, and yet plastics and the reduction of plastic waste has actually risen in terms of uh, public concern to the point where it almost exceeds climate change as a major issue. And I think that's that's a very interesting uh, tact on the part of the Liberals, and that's the kind of thing that might get talked about in backyards um, over the summer. Uh, for the Conservatives, I mean, job one for Andrew Shear is to do something that marks a break from Stephen Harper, because we've seen very little in that regard to suggest that Andrew Shearer will be anything but, um, you know, just a clone of Stephen Harper. I realize they're different personalities with different backgrounds, but Andrew Shearer really needs to come up with something that differentiates himself from nine years of Harper rule. Yeah, I think they all have the challenge of what is their election strategy? What 
you know, obviously there's elements that you can't predict. Uh, we're waiting for everyone to really show up under the spotlight or not uh, under the spotlight of an election campaign. And campaigns do absolutely 100% matter. And uh, and I think given that this is the prime minister's first as the prime minister, he's it's a different tact than just an election campaign. And then for both Mr. Uh, Mr. Shear and Mr. Singh, this is their first major uh, foray into the national spotlight in, in a very different way than they've ever uh, been part of before. Okay, on that note, we will wrap things up for this week. Thank you so much, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner of Fleischman Hillard, High Road Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group, and Kim Wright, Principal of Wright Strategies. Thank you all. Thank Thanks, you, Libby. Libby. Thanks, Libby. Okay, we'll talk to you next week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.